18 on being holy be ye holy for I am holy 1 Peter 1 verse 16 this precept enjoins holiness and our first business should be therefore to inquire what holiness is it is plain that the Bible uses the term as synonymous with moral purity but the question will still return what is moral purity? I answer moral fitness that which we see to be morally appropriate it is in substance moral propriety in other words perfect love such as God requires it is sympathy with God and likeness to him the state of mind that God has holiness in God is not a part of his nature in such a sense that it is not voluntary in him but it is a voluntary exercise and state of his mind the same is true of all beings holiness is not a thing of nature as opposed to free action but must always be a free and a moral thing it is not possible to any beings but such as are made in the image of God in the sense of being moral agents they must have free will and then must voluntarily conform themselves to rectitude nothing less or other than a voluntary conformity of themselves to the moral law can be holiness in them all holiness is that state of mind which is precisely appropriate to their nature and relations this state is expressed in one word love meaning by this benevolence goodwill to all when this term is used in its widest sense it includes all moral duty hence this command to be holy requires that we bring ourselves into a moral adjustment to God and to our entire moral duty 1. Why should we be holy? God, as in our text, requires it it is written Be ye holy, for I am holy The context also combines with the text to enforce the duty by God's example As he who hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation According to the ancient precept Be ye holy, for I am holy Because I am holy, therefore be ye holy likewise our Lord enforced the same duty by the same reason Matthew 5:48. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father who is in heaven is perfect 2. What are the reasons of this requirement? 1. We cannot but require it of ourselves Our own nature irresistibly demands it of us His own individual conscience of every moral agent There is no moral agent whose nature does not require holiness of himself each one is so constituted that it is impossible that he should not require this of himself hence there must always be a war in his own bosom unless he yields to this demand he knows he ought to and therefore by a necessity as strong as his own nature he must become holy or fail of peace and conscious self-approval no moral agent can respect himself unless he is holy he may be careless and thoughtless and may thus slide over and pass some of the self-reproach he must otherwise feel for unholiness but he can never have any honest self-respect unless he behaves himself in a comely and decent way which he believes to be, in his circumstances, right need I urge that self-respect is a thing of very great importance few are fully aware how very important self-respect is to themselves and to others let a young man lose his self-respect and what is he? what hope can you have of his stability and manliness? a young woman void of self-respect is no longer herself who does not know how completely she falls from her position as a virtuous woman this form of self-respect pertains to our relations to this world and to society but suppose a moral agent in like manner to lose his self-respect towards God how fearful must be the influence of this loss on his heart 
how reckless of moral rectitude he becomes in all that pertains to his maker or suppose God to lose his self-respect suppose he should cease to do what is honorable to himself and should no longer care to act in a manner worthy of his own esteem how fearful must be the consequences first to himself and next to his whole universe suppose him to be morally impure no longer adjusting his conduct to his own standard of right it shocks us unutterably to conceive of God as acting in a way unworthy of himself we know how keenly every sensitive and right-minded being feels the disgrace of having consciously acted in a way unworthy of himself those who have been conscious of this pain have often thought how God must feel if with his infinite sensibilities he should act unworthy of himself you sometimes experience this feeling and therefore know how you loathe yourself and have no peace or rest in your soul it is true that these considerations may have but little weight with those who know nothing of holiness and who have never cultivated their own right feelings and sentiments but those of you who have been near God and have had your hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience must appreciate it Two, another reason why we should be holy is that God requires it of us he made us in his own image like himself in the attributes of intellect sensibility and free will and therefore for the same reasons that make him require holiness of himself he must require it of us he must require it of us because it is his duty to do he requires us to be holy because he cannot make us happy unless we become holy our nature being what it is it is forever impossible that we should be happy without being holy God is happy because he is holy he knows that we exist under the same law of nature and necessity hence his benevolence prompts nay compels him to use this necessary means of securing our happiness remarks 1. sinners know they are not holy all know this yet may often say what have I done so very bad no matter whether very bad judged by the popular standard or not you know you are not holy now do not suppose yourself to be holy as God is holy you know there is none of this character in you how much soever confused men's sentiments on the subject may be it is universally true that they conceive of God as being holy in a sense in which they are not themselves whatever they may say of it they know this 2. the hope that unconverted people often have that they shall be saved is utterly without foundation many try to think they have not done anything so bad that they deserve to be sent to hell how strange that such men should think themselves fit for heaven Christ said marvel not that I said unto you ye must be born again no marvel that men should need a radical change hearts so foreign from love so full of selfishness how can such hearts dwell in heaven the unholy man's hope of heaven how utterly absurd what nonsense that men should cherish such hopes without any holiness to fit them for it just as if heaven were a certain place of no moral character and to go there would be to ensure one's bliss you know better you know something about the business and the delights of the Christian you know there are such things as you delight not in the Sabbath is no privilege to you rather you exclaim behold what a weariness is it social worship has no spiritual attractions for you how then can you suppose that heaven would be a world of joy to you three many who know they must become holy are yet very ignorant of the way in which they are to become so having begun in the spirit they try to become perfect in the flesh their reliance is more on resolutions than on Christ embraced by faith a leading minister of the Presbyterian Church not long since heard a sermon showing that men are sanctified by receiving Christ into the heart by faith he remarked 
we are just beginning to receive this doctrine we have a long time been trying to become holy by resolutions of many it is true that all their efforts are by works of law they seem to know that all the efforts they make without Christ avail nothing save only sin Four, pardon without holiness is impossible in this sense that the heart must turn from its sins to God before it can be forgiven repentance is really nothing more or less than turning from sin to holiness and who does not know that the scriptures teach that repentance must precede pardon reversing this order would ruin the sinner the idea that God can reverse it works only ruin to those who accept it 5. the command to be holy implies the practicability of being so I meet with some professed Christians who on the subject have really no hope they feel the need of being holy but they are in despair of attaining it before they die now these Christians claim to be believers but they are not the grand difficulty in their case is that they do not believe God's word of promise they have no faith that men can become holy in this life yet they say they believe in Christ yet what is Christ if not a saviour a saviour from what if not from sin is it not expressly said thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins what is Christ to do does he save people in their sins shall he not rather save them from their sins and sanctify them holy and redeem them unto himself as a peculiar people zealous of good works does it not seem strange that so many profess to be believers in Christ but yet avow that they do not believe the plainest things said in the Bible of Christ they claim to be believers what are they believers gospel believers and yet do not believe what Christ says nay more they tell you it is dangerous to believe that you can be holy in this world said a Unitarian minister how strange that the Orthodox should object to sanctification in this life he had been reading the views presented here and said why can they object if they profess to believe that Jesus is a divine Savior and that in him all fullness dwells why should they object they should either give up their doctrine of a divine saviour and deny that he is able to save to the uttermost and abandon their ideas of a divine redeemer or admit your views to be true and certainly there seems to be force in his reasoning I have never been more struck with this great idea salvation from sinning by Jesus Christ than I have during the past winter I found it everywhere as I read the New Testament and indeed in the Old Testament also oh how strange that the church should be fighting the idea of becoming holy through Jesus Christ how strange that they should insist that he will do no such thing is it not amazing 6. Christ's promises and relations to his people imply a pledge of all the help we need the entire gospel scheme is adapted to men not in the sense of conniving at their weakness but of really helping them out of it it does not say go in your sins it does not smooth this path by saying no man can live sinless in this world but it says take hold of Christ's strength and he will help you it does not encourage you to hold on in sinning but it urges you to take hold of Christ for all the help you need to overcome the practical difficulties in your way its language is my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness while you affirm your moral obligation you are more and more impressed with your moral weakness but this weakness is what Christ counterbalances with his strength in the extremest weakness his strength finds largest scope and fullest development as thy day so shall thy strength be when you shall thoroughly cast yourself on the arm of the mighty one hence the command to be holy is no apology for despondency but should really encourage us to take hold of the strength promised to meet human weakness 7. God sympathizes with every honest effort we make to become holy of course he does how can he fail to do so 
Whenever he sees a moral struggle in any soul, it interests him exceedingly. He sympathizes infinitely more deeply than we do. And yet some of us know how deeply we sympathize where we see a convert getting hold of the idea of sanctification by Christ. In some such cases I have known the joy of older Christians to be really inexpressible when I have seen gospel ministers getting hold of the idea of sanctification and struggling to reach the experience of that idea I have said to myself if we can feel so deeply in view of such a struggle how much more must God feel? Do you not think God feels? And indeed in every part of his infinite and boundless sensibility 8. If we become partakers of his holiness we are made sure of the river of his pleasures this comes both of the nature of the case and of the revealed laws of his kingdom Holiness becomes God's house forever, and while it is fearfully true that without holiness no man shall see the Lord, it is delightfully sure that the holy shall see him and enjoy spiritual blessedness in his presence. 9. All men will sometimes feel the necessity of this holiness. In some cases, it is felt most deeply. Last winter I became acquainted with a woman, hopefully a Christian, but who had heard very little on this subject. She had been converted under circumstances where the great desolation and moral darkness became the immediate occasion of her awakening. From such surroundings she had struggled up to the light, yet while she came to hear the real gospel and the way of holiness was open to her mind, it was wonderful to see how she did grasp and devour this blessed bread of life. It met a great void in her spiritual nature, and her soul exulted in it with exceeding joy. You often feel these struggles. You know you need something more and higher. You cannot be satisfied with your present state. You are conscious something is wrong between your soul and God, and you have a deep conviction that you need more holiness. Why then do you not lay hold of this hope set before you in the gospel? 10. There is no rest short of being holy. Many try to find rest in something less but they are sure to fail. They suspend further efforts and would fain believe they shall have rest where they are, but all such hope is vain. There can be no rest short of coming into sympathy with God and into spiritual unison with Jesus Christ. 11. Many insanely suppose that when they come to die they shall be sanctified and prepared for heaven. Let us sit down by the bedside of such a man, one who expects to be sanctified in death. What is he doing? What progress is he making? Would you speak kindly to him and inquire after his spiritual progress? But you must not allude to religion. The doctor would not like to have you. He says it might retard the man's recovery. He wants his mind to be perfectly quiet and unthinking. It will not do, therefore, even to whisper the name of Jesus. And is it supposable that this dying man is taking hold vigorously of that blessed name which you may not even whisper in his ear? Is he gaining the victory over the world by faith in the Lamb of God? Do you judge from what you see and hear that his soul is in a mighty struggle with the powers of selfishness and sin, a struggle in which faith in Jesus ensures the victory? Ah, he sinks, he goes down, lower and lower, sometimes all consciousness seems to be lost. And can you think that, in these dying hours, his soul is entering into sympathy with Christ, is bursting away from the bands of temptation and taking hold with a mighty grasp? of those exceeding great and precious promises. I do not ask you what you admit as to the possibility of miracles on a deathbed, but I ask if you think the circumstances are favorable for that mental effort which the nature of the case demands in renouncing sin and receiving Jesus Christ by faith for sanctification. 12. No man has any right to hope unless he is really committed to holiness and in all honesty and earnestness intends to live so. If he does not intend to live a holy life, let him know that he is not in the way to heaven. 
If he is in his sins and indulges himself in sinning, by what right or reason can he suppose himself traveling towards the abodes of infinite purity? If he hopes for heaven at the end of such a life, he is egregiously self-deceived. Is not every person in this house most fully convinced that he must become holy if he would be saved? Notwithstanding all the looseness of your views on this subject, do you not know that you must be holy as you would find a home in heaven? Do you believe that in any practical sense you really can become holy? Doubtless you do. For where would you be if you knew you must be holy and yet knew equally well that you cannot be? You are not in this dilemma. You cannot bring yourself to think that the ever-blessed God has ever shut up his children in a dilemma so hopeless. The case with you probably is that you know you ought to become holy but you are not ready to be just now. If I should call on the younger class they would say I have so much to do, how can I? Certainly I am not ready now. The middle-aged also are equally unprepared yet. The great evil is that men will not act on their own convictions. They have convictions. They know what they ought to do and what is infinitely wicked for them not to do. Yet they do not do it. There they stop. They stop, not in the point of the gospel rest, but in the point where impenitent sinners often stop, convicted of sin, but not acting up to their convictions of duty. Suppose one should come to you and try to hire you to make no further effort to become more holy. How could you be hired to any such committal? It would affect you very much as it would have done when you were first convicted of sin if someone had tried to hire you to deter all effort to come to Christ for a score of years longer. You would have cried out, Get thee behind me, Satan, don't tempt me to sell my soul. Satan took a more cunning course. He only said, Wave it just now. Let it lie over till you find a convenient season. So offered, the bait took and you swallowed it. And so thousands are putting off their effort to become holy. You would be horror-stricken with a proposal to put off all effort to become holy for ten years longer. But the thought of putting over for an indefinite time, supposed to be not very long, does not startle you at all. O oh my hearers, what shall the end be of such procrastination? May it not be that in your real heart you have no love of holiness and have never sought it as the pearl of great price. Can it be well with you to go on still in a course that leads you farther every day from God? Will you forget that He is holy and that if you would behold His face in peace, you too must become holy?